Attention to roll call. Welcome to the 265 Police Live Series. Brought to you by the New York's finest retired and unfiltered podcast. The mission of this podcast is to provide expert analysis of past and present law enforcement related events with a trained eye. Listen to the boots on the ground weigh in on the court of public opinion. All right, everybody, how you doing? Another series, 265 Police Live. We are the experts. Well, here we have an opportunity. I tell you what, listen, the NYPD has had so much content coming out lately. I mean, honestly, especially with these moves with the uh, the chiefs and executives lately, it's, I mean, I, I just think the NYPD has more shuffles than a deck of cards. Uh, it's just insane. But I'd like to highlight right now, it's exciting. People always want to watch about cops. But here's an opportunity for us to really pick it out and dissect it and, and actually decide if, if it, the name actually, there's an actual actual series coming out now, right? Or it's actually started already by the NYPD called True Blue's Finest. So, and I like that key word that starts out true. And that's what we've been doing in this podcast is we've been out here giving content that's truthful. That's what we want. So here's an opportunity, John and I, we want to dissect the first episode. And talk about exactly what it's called, True Blue's Finest. And if it is true, what exactly our take on it. And, you know, because we want to be honest, there is a lot of stuff that we actually like about it. But there's stuff that we need to really dissect to see if it really correlates to what's going on right now. And if it fits everyone on a precinct level. So uh, let's go right into this, John. What do you think about this, uh, this series right now, this particular episode? Be the yes. first one. So we got episode one, True Blue, NYPD Finest. It's on YouTube. Um, you know, and basically they say they give a never-before-seen perspective of NYPD policing. I mean, whoever hasn't watched it, I mean, I definitely highly suggest watching it. It's, it. It is pretty entertaining. And I did get a million questions on it. So I just want to dissect, go through that. Um, I do think that it is a good thing overall for the NYPD to show how what what the life of a NYPD officer is however I don't believe that it actually portrays that what the actual life of 99.9% of NYPD officers are doing out there the work yes when they get into the jobs itself but how they come about it and who's doing it and and the resources they have it's not really realistic so me and eric would just like hey you know we'll we'll uh you know even though we like the show we like what they're doing again i think it's a piggyback off the show i really think a lot of things that you're seeing out there in the nypd and in the media and the news is really has changed because you're getting to hear now a real perspective from real people who actually did this job and are unafraid to actually talk about it and push back at the politics of this city because it's uh they're horrific and they're lying. I'm not saying that that's the case with this show. I just don't think it's an actual real perspective of 99.9% of, of, of policing in NYC, especially in the NYPD. You know, what, what, what you, what were your, what were your overall thoughts about it, Eric? Uh, that's the part exactly. That's the part that I think is ironic. Here. Here's the paradox. It starts out, it's called true blues finest. And listen, 
the stuff that is going on in this particular episode is nothing that we all haven't done yet, especially anyone that's done anti-crime or conditions. If you ask me, this is actually a glorified conditions team. So if the public wants to know, for years prior to the uh, de Blasio administration, we always had on a precinct level housing transit. Each precinct had a conditions team. Exactly what it is. It's a, it's a team of uniform guys. In some cases, it was plain clothes. In most cases, it was uniform guys where they addressed the actual needs of a particular precinct, the, the, the needs that that command requires. And it was called conditions. And it's different from anti-crime because anti-crime had a specific target, forte of illegal firearms and robberies and, and violent, violent uh, propensity for violence. But with the conditions team, it was kind of a, an, an overall sense of where a team of guys can address all issues and particularly quality of life. So it used to work well. The conditions team and the anti-crime teams, they kind of balance each other out. The anti-crime teams would selectively target repeat offenders, those in possession of illegal firearms, and the conditions guys would go out and address an array of, of situations, particularly starting out with quality of life. Beer drinkers, guys pissing in the street, uh, at the time was smoking marijuana. And now what, what is what is a, a particular problem that condi- conditions was addressing? And, and I see now it's it, it's a it's a heavily, heavily issue that needs to be addressed is the issues with the ATVs. I mean, we ha- we've seen groups of ATVs surround citizens. Uh, people have been attacked by these ATVs. I mean, the, the noise, the, the pollution. I, I've seen it in Times Square where they, they come in packs. It looks like a wolf pack, and they, they're driving around, and, and it's just a complete nuisance. But the problem is, in most cases, when you do pursue these ATVs, you'll end up in a chase. And it's just a chase that you're going to lose because these these guys on the ATVs, they're very savvy. In a car, you can't keep up. You're going to end up crashing, or they'll crash, and unfortunately, the liability is on you. And that's what I see with this team. What makes it so much different than a team on a precinct level, and that's why I'm, I'm so glad that you said that, John, that 99% of the job doesn't do it in this matter. Because, yes, they're going out and they're addressing the situation with ATVs. I see that they, they're making arrests for narcotics. They're probably getting firearm arrests. But here's, the, here's, here's what they have, which is so illustrious that no one else has, is they have a team that has a chief assigned to them. They have a legal team assigned to them. I mean, they have everything at their disposal, and this was Chief Madry's baby. So this is his, this is his, this is his team. This is his guys. And what's quite interesting about this team also is what you and I have been saying that it's a team made up of complete young, new, they're rookies. These guys that are, that are filling this team, they're all rookies on this job. Nobody on this team has experience. There's, there's no veterans. Why? Because if you are a veteran on this job and you did proactive police work, your record has been peppered up by CCRB. You've self self-reported by doing TRIs. You self-reported and generated your own IAB complaints, and you self-reported your own CCRB complaints. So it's quite interesting that here you have a team of guys. Basically, conditions team looks like there might be about six to ten guys that are probably rotating on a particular team, and they're going out and addressing these issues. But they have a support team. No one else has this on a precinct level housing transit. And it's quite interesting. This is what I've been saying back in the past, John. I think that this this job is way too top heavy when it comes to chiefs. 
yes, it's important to have small unit leadership breakdown where we have a unit that that has a sergeant, has a couple of guys assigned to them, and then a couple of sergeants are assigned to a lieutenant, several lieutenants are assigned to a captain. But here we have a small team that has a chief assigned to them and an inspector and a legal team. So these guys going out, they have all the support systems that someone in a precinct, like for instance, if I went back to PSA 7, if I was to form a conditions team, which is exactly what this is, going out and addressing conditions, quality of life, robberies, an array of situations of how we help the residents in particular precincts or citywide, we don't have a chief at our disposal that has a direct line to the police commissioner. We don't have, uh, we don't have a legal team. We're doing it on our own. And then that's why I'm curious when I watch why I watch this particular video. Yes, it's exciting. We all love watching stuff like this. It's very exciting. It's quite interesting, though. I mean, for years, the NYPD has shied away from being on camera. The NYPD never had any interest, did not want to be on Cops. Cops is probably the most famous police-type video that has been portrayed and viewed by the public. And the NYPD had some, had some time on Cops. There were some ESU videos. But for many years, the NYPD didn't want to have any part in that. But here we are. We're at a point where John, I, I honestly believe this, because of you and I, we've been putting out the truth, we put out information, and we've actually challenged the NYPD, we challenged the public, we challenged the law enforcement profession, we challenged the politicians, that they've had to put out some type of podcast, which we know they've already put out, and also their own show, so that they have an opportunity to show that, hey, this is what the police are doing. Hey, John and I, John McCarry and Eric Dibba saying that the police are unable to do these things right now because of the situation and climate they're in and also the pushback with CCRB. And that's that's actually 100% true. They cannot. These guys are doing it, but they have what no one else has. So if it's going to be a level playing field, in each precinct, we should see a chief assigned to them. We should see a legal team assigned to them if they're going to be out effective and do it in this manner. So, so what do you think about that? I think I think that's a, an accurate statement. There's 77 police precincts. There's 99 in total with transit districts and PSAs. Okay, so this unit, and and I'll say right from watching it, I'll say, wow, this is something that could actually be effective in a non-intrusive police department. This particular model. But so, are we going to have 99 chiefs and 99 versions of this team? to address because every all 99 of those those precincts those psas and those transit districts are dealing with similar issues they won't be the same throughout you know you won't have their packs of atvs and everything and obviously some will be in transit and some you'll be in housing so you'll have unique different problems there as well but again these are young kids which again i'm gonna say you know, I don't I, I know why that is, because they don't want they're putting these people on camera and they don't want to everyone looking up their 50A and making it look like Eric Dim. And then they could call him a statewide brutalizer. And they're afraid they're afraid of that. The job doesn't like that. They don't like when people are saying, oh, look at this guy. He has all these complaints. They shouldn't be afraid of it. They shouldn't be. If you were a leader, you would be like, hey, I didn't create this process where every time someone does a, a, a threat resistant injury report, this person's going to get a CCRB case, an IB law, possibly a profiling case for every time a car stop um, and, and all of these things. I didn't I didn't create this system. City council put this in place. 
we followed through because we had weak leadership in the police commissioner title that basically bowed down to these progressive leftists. And and here we are, right? So if we're going to use these rookies, they're clean. They're a perfect example. Let's use them. You have the rookies. Put their, I want to see their jacket now. I want to see as they make arrests. I want to see their CCRB records, their IAB records. These are all public info. I want them to go up and I want you to show what investigations they have per each incident they're involved in, particularly the incident. You know, you could in two two incidents in, in particular, I'd love to really see the one where the kid almost gets his nose cut off, which is was a horrific incident. And I'm glad they put that on there because it shows exactly the dangers that police have to go through. And it actually they, they actually sit down with him for a little while and you see his psyche a little bit, right? They're like, Oh, you still want to do this job? He's like, Yeah, I still want to do this job. I love this job. My you know, my parents were cops. I always wanted to do this. He's not shying away, even though he got his nose cut off, even though all the things me and Eric are talking about. You know, I have a problem with the incident itself and the overall message of it, because I do believe that individual should have been shot. I don't believe the taser was an effective tool in that scenario, but that's for another day. You know what I mean? I don't even want to get into that at all. But I do think as as a police department, when that incident happened, they should have came out on a record and and let the public know just how lucky he was and how we're not going to train our officers to use a taser when a male's in, in distance of you in, in your zone of safety with a knife. Because it could it could have easily been his heart. And, I, and I, you know, I know me and Eric have both seen it. You get poked in your heart one time with a knife. There's not even blood coming out because it's going to stop pumping and you're dead, on, you're dead as a doornail on the street. No blood pumping. Boom. So, I mean, and that was a very real scenario. He was lucky that it was cosmetic and it was just a nose, you know. Um, so I do I do applaud them in that scenario for putting it out there because it is a dangerous thing. It, it puts you in the perspective. It's one thing to see something in the paper. It's another thing to actually see it live on camera, to see the body camera, to hear the, all the words of the officer and to put him back. And, and, how, and even when he said, uh, even when he, he, he's focused in, he said, I, I knew I couldn't pass out. I knew I couldn't pass out. You know what I mean? Because he would be dead. You know, I knew I couldn't pass out. The kid's nose is hanging off his face and he still has to keep his level of calmness. And and even at, at one point, they actually put in where he, uh, where he they, someone asked him, are you OK? He goes, yeah, my nose is hanging off, but I think I'll be all right. You know, and you could hear you could hear the, the adrenaline flowing, his, his all, all the stuff coming out of him. So, I mean, I think it was powerful. I think I think that was a good scenario to actually put in there. Uh, but the other thing was the ATVs, how they've rounded up to ATVs. They use the intercity agencies. I mean, we did do we did do these intercity agencies when I was a cop and when I was a sergeant and lieutenant. We would do this, but they're very infrequent because it's hard to get all of these agencies on board. The FDNY is not as 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 large as the NYPD, so they don't have the manpower to put this out across the city. I do think it is effective, but. I do think what they did is effective, but obviously what they just said, I think they said they uh, they seized 15,000 15, ATVs and dirt bikes in New York City. But what they didn't tell you is like what happened to the offenders? How many times did they get that back, if any, the, the, the ATVs? And why are we still seeing so much of it? Because there really are no repercussions other than 
other than the financial that you'll lose if you bought that ATV. The problem here is most of those ATVs are stolen, right? So most of those ATVs are stolen, so they just go upstate, they go to New Jersey, they go to Pennsylvania, they steal a couple more, they come back down, and guess what happens when they get caught? Nothing. So it's not deterring the behavior. The only way to deter the behavior is if we're going to sit here and pretend that someone's buying these $10,000 ATVs and $7,000 dirt bikes. I'm not going to sit there and make that pretend. I'll tell you right now, those things are stolen from upstate, from Jersey, from all over the place. So, and, and, and it will continue to happen. You know, listen. The more that we, the more that we talk about this episode. Listen, it's exciting. I love watching it. Who doesn't like watching police work and 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 uh, different frames of it and, and you know it's action. It's this is this is movie stuff. Honestly, yes, this is stuff that we all do. But this is stuff for experienced and veteran cops. I mean, these cops are all brand new. Clearly, this is not exactly how we do it on a precinct level because no team is going out with a legal team. I mean. I, I hope that other cops that are watching this right now, young cops, and, and this is what this is what I this is what I why I'm perturbed, because the message to the to the other cops right now is hey you could go out and you could do this type of police work right now, and that's that's uh, that's completely the furthest thing from the truth, and it's called True Blue's finest, because on a precinct level, if you have a team right now, if you're a sergeant out there and you have a team of five six guys doing public safety or you're a neighborhood safety team right now, this quasi-anti-crime team, you might be thinking, like, hey, we can go out there with the same steam that these guys do. But you can't. You don't have a chief that's behind you that has a direct line to Chief Madry and also the police commissioner, that if some CCLB is coming down from the pipe with these guys, that it can be squashed behind closed doors or some kind of deal can be made. Again, you said something that I think is we really have to reflect on. They don't want to put up, like you said, Eric Dim guys from my unit that went out there, veteran cops with experience, because that's exactly that. As soon as they see that name name tape, they're going to research the 58, and they're going to put it out there. Exactly that. And Chief Madry, the police commissioner, doesn't want to show that, hey, these guys, yes, these guys are veteran cops, 10 years on the job. They have seven complaints, which are byproducts of doing legit police work. But they don't want that. Here we have these guys. I look at these guys. And me, these guys don't have more than three years on the job. Two, three years on the job. This is made up of all new guys. They have a legal team with them constantly and a chief. I mean, think about that. We have a chief with about eight to ten guys. That's, I mean, we're paying someone probably three hundred some odd thousand dollars a year to command eight guys, and you hold the rank of chief. We should see this on a precinct level. But like you said, ninety-nine percent of the job does not have the tools that these have. And when it comes to conditions, every precinct, every housing location. Every transit location needs a conditions team because and conditions are not one size fits all, which I always say, because if I were, if I live in PSA 7, I'm a resident of PSA 7, the concerns that I have in housing, you know, the quality of life concerns may be different from the concerns of someone that lives in a 6-7 precinct in, in a residential, a transient area versus housing. Or if I take the train every day to work, the concerns that I have on, on the train are going to be different from what I have in my home. I want to see that in, in transit, I want to see these mentally uh, mentally ill people that are there being removed and taken care of that, you know, so that they're not causing a nuisance to people on their way to work, not causing harm. You want to see mostly disturbed persons that are being removed from there. That's something that conditions does. But 
which we know that if these guys were doing it without a chief and out of legal team, without the spy that they have, the support, their records would be peppered up. And I'm curious, I would eventually, John, I, I would, you and I, we need to do some type of foil request. I would like to see in a span of maybe six months, this particular team, did they generate TRIs, threat resistant injury reports? Did they self initiate internal affairs complaints in regards to having use, uh, use force? Because they're definitely going to have to use force. If they're, if they're in search of ATVs, we know that the, the operators at ATVs, in many cases, they fight, they run, they flee. And let's reflect back on this poor young police officer. It pains me to watch this video because I was a big component of tactics and I would constantly teach my guys tactics. We would sit, we would have a round table. We would have, a, we would muster together and we would, we would go over actual situations that we had and say, hey, how can we do this better? How can we tactically approach this better? And it's sad. He was lucky that day. He did not win. It's an unfortunate thing, but the police department commends and we commemorate cops when they get their nose cut off, when they get stabbed, when they get shot and they survive. And we call them heroes. And it's sad. He did not win that day. He's as lucky as possible. I mean, he had his nose cut off. That's, that's a game changer. That's a life changer. The pain will go away, but emotionally, he will feel that forever. And he's going to question himself when he, when he approaches a potential perpetrator in distance of where he's at. And I say this all the time. All the time. The FBI did a study. The taser is only effective 48% of the time. 48%. That's basically a flip of the coin. And especially in New York City in the metropolis. And I watched, honestly, I might get some blowback for this, but the tactics in this were terrible. They honestly were. They were terrible because these guys are young on the job and they're, they're aggressive and they want to get to the perpetrator. And sometimes you need to slow it down. Slow is fast. And they went way too close in proximity to someone that has a knife. I mean, you and I were taught what happened to 20 feet distance from someone that's in possession of a knife, isolating this guy, containing the area, getting so close to him, hoping that taser works. Because the closer that you are with someone, the least effect effective that taser will be. Because a taser needs to have distance. Why? Because when those two prongs deploy, we want one prong to hit one end of the body, which could be a shoulder towards the head, and the, the other one possibly towards the thigh and the leg, so that the current is immobilizing the entire body, running through the body. But in a short distance, that prong maybe only, will only hit a portion of the chest. It may only hit a portion of the arm. And it's only going to immobilize an arm or a portion of the body. And that person is still, still going to be violent. They're still, still going to be a perpetrator that's going to be an adversary and have the potential to cause damage. And this particular perpetrator did. So... I understand I may get blowback for it, but the tactics were terrible. It's, it's unfortunate. And that's why this poor young police officer lost his nose. We're bringing a taser to a knife fight. And we learned this. I don't know what, obviously, obviously something that's going on in the police academy. These guys are only taught what they can't do. They have no idea what to do. But I tell you one thing, John, you and I were always taught back then. And I'm telling my police officers now, you always need to be one edge above your adversary. Your adversary brings a knife, you bring a gun. You don't bring a taser. I, I mean, unfortunately, I think the public has this perception that a taser is like this magic potion. And that's not the case. It's a tool. In some cases, you, you can use a tool for a specific incident, and it's just not effective in that case. You know, I, I, I myself, I like to do handiwork. I like to do work uh, on cars and bikes and RVs and homes 
And sometimes, listen, sometimes you take that screwdriver, it's a Phillips screwdriver, it fits in the hole, but that's not the right tool for that. I need to get something else where it has more grip. I need to get something else with another handle. And in this particular case, a taser is not the tool to implement in a knife fight. Absolutely not. And it's unfortunate. I wish I was there to help this young police officer to put him in a better tackle position and he would have his nose today. But at the same time, I do want to commemorate him for showing great strength and still wanted to do this job. And, uh, you know, it's 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 still an amazing job. It's still amazing to do law enforcement, but you need the support. And here, this team has the support that no one else has. No one else has. It has a team that's built with a legal team. It, it does. It, you know, we have to ask ourselves, why do you, why does a team that is supposed to be illustrious and elite team that's going out there addressing the quality of life is why do they need a legal team beside them? And John, you and I know exactly why they need a legal team beside them to save them from lawsuits, to save them civilian complaints, so that their records don't get peppered up, so that the public doesn't run their records on the 50 and say, "Look at these guys! Wow, these guys are doing more harm than good." What do you think? Well, it's actually like the legal teams to protect them from their own decisions. Which, well, that too. But I'm not going to sit here and say that like you wouldn't make the right decision because I would say that the majority of guys that went out there and did conditions and anti-crime work knew the law cold, right? So I'm not going to say that 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 legal guy is going to make a better decision than me. I'm not. Like I don't, I don't believe that at all. I think, I think honestly, I I, I would be able to make that decision and lead that team perfectly legally however when i get sued and when the da throws that case out i have that to fall back on hey well i i was acting on behalf of my legal team so they're they're insulating and protecting the officers that way they're also insulating and protecting the officers like eric said when those ccrbs come down it would be very nice to have the chief of department and the police commissioner right on my side with my eight guys and my team like hey this complaint's nonsense so that when CCRB finds them guilty, if they do, which I believe that they won't, I believe those, I believe any CCRBs towards that team will be treated totally differently because they know there's a camera on it and the public will get to see exactly what's going on. So that's one thing. I don't believe that that should have been released until this video should have been released until a year or two passed. They should have actually documented this team for like two years prior to this going on and CCRB and the district attorney's office who are not our partners, by the way, they're not because I'm sick of hearing it. They're not our partners out there. They, they should not have been informed what's going on because even some of the, you've seen some of the guys were released on their own recognizance, but you've seen some people charged too. And I don't believe that those people would have been charged if it wasn't for this unit making, making these arrests and this being on camera. Cause again, they don't want the bad publicity either. So I don't like that aspect of it. I don't like the fact you're out there with a legal team. You're out there with not even just one chief. You have the chief of department. Now Badri was out there. You have chief shell. Who's the chief of, Patrol. He, I don't know if he was a one or a two star at that time. Um, so he was there, and you actually see Juanita Holmes in there too. So there's three chiefs. There's three chiefs. That's nine hundred thousand dollars to deploy one team right off the bat. Now you're deploying all the other guys. Plus you're coming out with the legal team. 
plus you're coming out with the cameras. Um, and, and yeah, they, your, your cases are getting drawn up because you have all the backing now and you have, you, you, you don't, and they want to put this message out like, Hey, we're still out here policing, but it's really not an honest message. And, and I'm going to go back on the taser with you too, that it's not an honest message. Like you said, it's 50% of the time. So anyone within twenty within a, within a twenty feet distance zone of safety, you you basically they they've done study after study that they will close the gap on you so quick they could close the gap on you and by close the gap they could be on top of you stabbing you before if you're not quick on your draw to even pull your holster out. So now do you want to do a coin flip with your taser? Fifty percent of the time I draw down on this guy and boom he's at me anyway. I mean, the, 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 the message should be someone is closing the gap on you with a knife. You will shoot center mass to stop that threat. And that is it. And that's an honest conversation, not only with the police officers, but with the public. Like, where is the leadership coming out and telling the public? Like, well, I, I'll never forget. I was a kid. I was in front of my house. Uh, you know, I always worked out. I was in front of my house. I was waiting for these two girls to come pick me up. Cops roll up. They were like anti-crime team or narco, whatever. They're like, what are you doing here? I was like sitting in front of my house, right? But I was out on the street by the car, right? So it didn't, I wasn't sitting on my stoop and they rolled up to me and I was, I mounted off to them and they, they put me up against the car. They searched me. I had nothing. Now, I don't know if those tactics were proper, but I do know them questioning me was proper, you know? Um, And I gave them a hard time and we went back and forth and at the end of the day, they leave. End of the day, they leave. They do nothing to me. They tossed me, told me I was a jerk off, which I was, and and they left. Unbeknownst to me, my father was listening to the whole thing through the window. He came out, fucking, he came out, and he was like, you know, you're a real jerk off. They should have locked you up. And my father didn't like police. And I was like, dad, I didn't even do anything. I was just sitting here. I'm waiting for these girls to come get me. I just sit here. They fucking stop me for no reason. They jump out of the car, search me for no reason. He's like, look, look. These guys are out here doing a job. They're out here to keep people safe. They don't need to deal with you. They're like, and, and, and by the way, he's like, and by the way, you're a big kid. They're scared. They're doing their job. They don't know if you have a gun. They don't know if you have a knife. He goes, keep your mouth shut when you're stopped by the police. I don't care what happens. I don't care what happens. Be courteous, and they'll either leave, or if they don't, go to jail. These guys will kill you. They have firearms. On They're afraid. Right. That's the that's the, the talk that supposedly only black people have with their family. Right. That's the talk. Right. That's not true. That goes for everybody. Anybody that could possibly be a threat to a police officer should be well what, made well aware of what will happen if you put a pull a knife on a police officer. And what do you think is going to happen? You're going to get shot. This is a conversation I'll have with my son. My nephews, my cousins, the kids in my neighborhood. If you pull a knife on a cop, more than likely you are going to get shot and you could possibly die. That could be your last day on earth. There's some mistakes you don't come back from. Some things that you don't get a second chance for or a third chance or a 99 chance like we do in New York City with all these criminals. You do not ever pull a knife on a police officer. And where is our elected and where is the police leadership making telling the public this exact message don't you ever pull a knife on a police officer because if you do we're gonna shoot you and we're trained to shoot you that message is nowhere 
and I'm not I'm not just knocking it on this episode. I'm talking about overall since the deployment of tasers, this message has not been given out. But this is the message I'm telling you as a police officer. Nobody gets within 20 feet of you as a knife with a knife because you the chance of you being dead that day is su- way more than 50 percent. Way more than 50%. You take your firearm out and someone charges you, you shoot them. That's a good shoot. Fuck FID. Fuck everybody else that's out there. I don't care. Fuck IAB, inspections, the chief of department. You need to go home to your family. That's the most important thing. You need to go home to your family. You need to be alive. You need to not be maimed. You need to be able to play with your children. You need to be able to have a nice, productive life. You didn't do anything wrong. You didn't go out there to kill anybody that day. Somebody came out there to kill you, and they put you in that scenario. That and and that's the message that doesn't that doesn't resonate. And and that one scenario, it annoys me. It it, it annoys me that like I think it's 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 impactful that the public sees it, but they don't put out the real message. It's uh, oh yeah, they use the taser. It's great. Blah 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 blah. And the same thing like Eric said with the ATVs. You know, they're not showing you enforcement on the street because they can't do it because we can't do it. So so is that an effective way to do it? Absolutely, I do. But they should hone in on that more. And 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 the way that these guys are being protected. And, you know, we've both gotten messages that these guys aren't processing their own arrests either, which which I mean, what, what do you what do you think about that? Because that that kind of irks me, you know, somebody that like I've, I've made calls where. I, I didn't come home for three days where I'm driving home after processing hundreds of hundreds of vouchers, uh, executing a search warrant, dropping numerous onlines for the arrest, uh, researching detective case files to, to get in contact with complainants, to identify property and other crimes. And, you know, three days on the side of the road throwing up because I'm so tired that I haven't slept. I haven't done anything. And, you know, to, to me, I'm like, those are the those are the scenarios that made me an effective leader and taught me the, the how to process an arrest and how to handle a prisoner as well, and and that is insulating them from a lot of complaints as well too. If they're not processing their own vouchers, they're they're being they're being relieved of liability right there, and the liability is going on to another officer. And if you're not handling your own prisoner and interrogating your own prisoner. And making sure they're going to central booking themselves, you're again leaving these guys of responsibility and liability. And you know, I I, I did anti crime. I always I always would rather transport my own prisoner because I don't want anyone sending them down. I don't want this guy picking up something in the cell, and I'm going to be accused of not searching him later. I search my prisoners over and over and over again, especially when they go in the cell with somebody, because I don't know that you search your prisoner. I know I search my prisoner, so I don't know if they pass something back and forth, but I know that my guy is not having anything on him, and I know that when he leaves again, he's still not going to have anything on him. So what do you, what do you think about that, Eric? Uh, first of all, I had to write down some of the stuff you you you, wrote, you said because, dude, you wrote you really made some great points. <clears throat> first of all, it's so true. I think the public has this perception, and, and that when a police officer is in a situation that it's life or death, and if the, the police officer survives and he lives, it's a win and it's okay. That's absolutely not the case. You said the key word, and this is what I've been saying all the time: maimed. This police officer was maimed. His appearance, the way he feels about himself, 
has changed for his entire life. Yes, he's still alive. He can still go out there and do the job. And some people say, hey, he's got all his fingers. He's got all his toes. Uh, he doesn't probably doesn't have the loss of any limbs. But he sustained a massive injury. And he might he may not know it. And he may not know it now. But at some point, he's going to face some traumatic stress in his life. I'm sure he has some PTSD or PTSI. I like to refer to it as PTSI, which George Bush coined that name, which I, I really have a lot of respect for, is post-traumatic stress injury. He definitely has an injury in his mind right now. Just feel about the emotional stress that he went through in this particular case. Yes, that's great. He did survive. He's still alive. But he lost his nose. That's not a win. I'm sorry. I want to tell the public that's not a win. You lost. You lost, brother. It's sad. Yes, you get to keep your job, but you lost. You had to go home to your wife, to your family. I mean, he looked like a young guy. Whether you have a wife, family, whatever the case is, you have to go home and tell somebody you lost your nose. And they have to ask, well, how did this happen? Again, the taser is not a magic potion. 20 feet, sometimes I would say, honestly, John, 20 feet is not enough. Listen, I engaged, and I'm a big advocate for martial arts. I've taken part, taken part in martial arts my entire life. I love Brazilian, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I've, I've, uh, I've done boxing for many years. I took part in Krav Maga. And, and one thing you learn, especially in Krav Maga, it's a lot of hands-on of how to disarm people with knives and guns. And you know what? It, these are all, even when it comes to dis, disarming someone with a, with a gun, or it's hocus-pocus. They even talk about in the training. This is the last, last resort. God forbid if you could disarm someone. You know what you need when someone has a knife? Get away. Get the hell away. I tell you right now, honestly, if I was in the street unarmed, and it's happened to me, uh, uh, fortunately, I, I survived. I was attacked with, uh, by two, two men with a knife off duty once. But I, I was lucky. But in most cases, a knife is even scarier than a gun. And that's what people don't understand. If you're in close proximity to someone with a firearm, if you can grab that firearm, you can put that firearm at a battery. But when someone has a knife, I don't care what type of martial arts experience you have. What type of weapons you have? If you're in close proximity, you could get cut so easily. I mean, we did a test when I was in the Marine Corps, and they would have these fake knives, and they would have them painted with a dye, and they would show us trying to do disarming tactics and fighting with someone, and even pulling a pulling a, a, a sidearm or having your rifle. And you know what happened at the end of it? Everyone looked at each other. And everyone had camouflage uniforms at the time doing this. Everyone had dye on them. And what did it prove? That no matter what situation, if you're in close proximity and someone has a knife, you're getting cut. No matter what. I don't care if you're Henzo Gracie. I don't care if you're the, you know, the best striker martial artist in the world. A knife is scary. you got to get away. You need distance. Distance is key. And in this case, they put themselves in close proximity because they had the belief that the taser is going to be the magic potion. And here again, I, I wrote down so much stuff that you said, John, because you put uh, such amazing points. This is fair leadership. Our leadership should be out there saying, listen, this is not good. Our police officer did not win. Our police officer lost because the public has the perception that he, they did the right thing by deploying the taser. No, they have a firearm. A firearm is a last resort, but they should have deployed that firearm. They should have been confident that the public, the politicians, the media, the job would support them and pull their firearm. And if they had to had to pull the trigger on that case, there should be nothing but support. If you ask me, and I'm sorry to this young police officer, you lost on this. You lost. I, I don't know what your nose feels like or the situation you're in, but you lost. You were not supposed to be put in this situation. You don't get paid enough to get your nose cut off. You, 
ultimate fighters that that are in championships, they don't get paid millions to sustain injuries. And you know what? There's a ref to stop them so that they don't sustain these type of injuries. There's no ref to stop you in the street. It's only you that you have to depend on. And it was your firearm that was needed. And this is a completely impactful. Honestly, my blood boils, and I can feel I can feel the blood going through my my veins when I hear this young police officer, and he's standing there, and he's giving the company answer, and he's proud because he's young, and he, he doesn't understand how this is going to impact him on his life. And and you, to this young police officer, you set the tone for the other police officers out there right now because now if another police officer is in that situation and he or she pulls their firearm. Now the public has to outweigh this and say, well, in this particular case, they, they utilized the taser. They were a- eventually able to take him down. Yes, he sustained an injury to his nose, but everyone survived, had all their fingers and toes. No, it's not about survival. It's about winning. And winning is going home unscathed, untouched. That's why that firearm is there to create distance. The taser is not the magic potion, and the, the leadership needs to go out there and tell the public it's an available tool that may be applicable to a particular situation, but it's not the end-all, be-all. Absolutely not. And another thing that you said I'd like to go into this, the word on the street that I'm hearing from a lot of my cops is that these guys are going out, and basically they, and it's killing morale. They have capes on them. They're like Superman. They work for Chief Madry. They work for Chief Shell. They're right under the police commissioner. They make arrests. They drop it off the precinct like they're just dropping off a bag of garbage. It's a dump job. They drop it off for the other guys. Exactly what you said. So that they don't have to, they avoid potential lawsuits because in in many cases, sometimes the lawsuits don't even generate from the actual arrest on the street. The lawsuits generate from once the cuffs come on and the arrest process, right? A lot of times lawyers will represent these persons of interest, these perpetrators and say that they weren't getting, uh, uh, applicable uh, medical care, that they weren't uh, taken care of properly, that their arrest process was prolonged, right? There's a certain amount of time that a prisoner is supposed to be at the precinct for an arrest process, three hours. And in this case, these guys are young guys. There's no veterans on this job. I don't think that anyone on this particular team has the capability of processing these arrests within a three-hour window. So that, in, and a lot of times when, and you know I'm right, John, you've probably seen this internal affairs, when these guys get sued, it's because a police, uh, because their prisoner is is at the precinct for an extended amount of time. Why? Because sometimes you have new guys crossing the arrest, or just things happen. The computers go down, and you have to be able to be able to articulate and explain why this particular prisoner had an extended period of time before they went to court, or they were released on a desk appearance ticket. Uh, so again, liability—they're insulated, they're saving their careers. I think this is a terrible idea for morale because these guys are basically going out with capes and superheroes and the other cops know it. I look, well, they work for Chief Madry. They just drop these bodies off and now someone has to do the arrest process. Also, you're hindering on these guys' careers. How are they supposed to do the arrest process? The arrest process does not start when, does not stop when the cuffs come on. It starts when the cuffs come on. The ability to engage your perpetrator, to debrief them. But what is debriefing them? Debrief them, interrogate them. And there's a difference so the public understands. When you interrogate someone, that's when you read them their Miranda rights and you actually find out and ask them, what did you do? What was your your participation in this particular crime? But when you debrief them is the skill that police officers and cops need to have is when you start to have a conversation with someone does not require Miranda. You do not have to read their rights and you're trying to find out and get leverage about other crimes that are happening. Maybe you arrested someone on an ATV 
and now that person's ATV was removed, it's going to cost them hundreds of dollars to get it back. But maybe this is someone that you debrief. Say, hey, listen, you know someone out there that's carrying a legal firearm? Maybe we could work you and get this ATV back to you. You can just leave it upstate or somewhere. That is the art of policing. And these guys aren't having the opportunity because they're not having an opportunity to debrief them. The arrest process for them stops when those cuffs come on. And then someone else, this is also hurting the chain of custody because now police officers that had no insight of what's going on in the, in the field or in the street with this uh, particular job has to re-interview the complainants if there are any or actually do a canvas of the arrest scene to get potential video, potential witnesses to pass on this information to the detective squad to do the arrest process. I see a lot of problems with this. There's a lot of holes in this. Again, I think it's also so these guys are part of the machine. Just like you said, these guys won't get civilian complaints. Try to keep their 58 clean. And these guys will also to keep their morale up. So they'll keep going out and making more arrests. And I do agree with you. Again, what you said about the legal team, it's great that they have the legal team. But I think the legal team for, my, for, for them is about emotional support. They have these guys there as it's another available tool that they can say, hey, listen, in this situation, what what can you advise? Because I do agree with you. In most cases, the anti-crime top, anti-crime cop, anti-crime sergeant, conditions cop, conditions sergeant that has been doing this for many years experience is going to understand the case law better than the legal aid, uh, better than the legal attorneys. Why? Because the police officer that's doing anti-crime actually applies the law in the street to where the legal attorney, and, and, and it's, it's, it's no disrespect to them, they understand the law from a foundation from, from school, but they actually haven't applied it in a manner that the police officers have to when you actually engage in a, a violent perpetrator or a potential suspect. I think that, I think you, you nailed that. And and one one more point about that legal attorney. You know why they're there? To protect the chief and the inspector because they're going to be the ones that has to make the decision. So, oh, go, go ask the, the legal attorney. Don't ask me, kid. Go ask the legal attorney. They're going to verify the arrest, right? So it insulates the chief as well, right? Um, so that's just – so, that, you know, overall, I, 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 that's, that's my opinion of it. I enjoy the show. I just think it's not really having the conversation with the public. It's not telling the public what actually a police officer does. 99.9% of the cops are not going to have these, these tools at their, at their disposal, and it's a show. It's a show. It's not actually what's going on. So I will watch it, keep critiquing it. You know, I mean, I, there's just, there's just so many things about it. And, and, you know, and, 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 and even just to, to go back onto the taser with the, with the, with the young officer who got it with his nose. I don't think that it's, it's like per se his fault because that message has been set before this kid probably ever even got on the job. We've had numerous incidents with guys with a knife getting taken down with a taser and the taser being lauded by the department. You know, we've had a, a scenario where a guy pulled a gun in a project building hallway and they shot him with a fucking taser. My heart was in my stomach, you know, and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And they applauded it, restrain this, that. So, like, you know, I, I think that the conversation with the public needs to be had. Don't resist arrest. Don't ever fucking pull in a gun or a knife on a cop. It's going to be your last day on earth. That's going to be a mistake. You don't get the second chance to come back from. We're not going to give you fucking our class for that. You're going to you're gonna go in a fucking body bag somewhere. And and I think that that's what, what no one in the NYPD will ever say. And until they start saying that, we're, we got a problem. 
Like, we got a fucking problem. Like, we're not going to sit here and play with kitty gloves. Don't raise your hand to a fucking cop. And don't, and you know, if you're going to mouth off, mouth off. Be a jerk off. Don't raise your fucking hand. Fucking put your hands behind your back. And there won't be problems. And don't, and don't fucking ever pull a knife or a gun or that will be your last day on earth and that's not the message that ha- that's going to be had so let's have the talk with the community and with everybody in reality everybody all members of the community tourists residents uh criminals everybody let's have the talk these are the boundaries with the police this is what the police do Here's the overall talk with everybody. It's not just a talk with black kids where they have to worry about it. It's a talk with Italian kids, Russian kids, Irish kids, uh, Jewish kids. Don't be a fucking idiot. Be be a civil human being, and you're not going to have any problem with the police. And, and by the way, if they arrest you by accident or they do something that's fucked up, you're going to have a major lawsuit. You're going to be driving a nice car. So don't worry about it. Just put your hand <laughs> behind your back. You'll be out of the precinct in four hours. Don't worry about it. You know, that's that's the conversation. That That's that's the message I'd like to get out there. That's the true blue 24. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, come on. Like, they won't even say it. Like, you know, like, like oh, like, like this guy should have should have been shot. He should have been shot. Like we didn't, you know, this isn't, this isn't how we train our officers. We're not, we're not training our officers for a 50% roll of the dice. Maybe you get maimed. And like you said, he's young, right? And he's not, he didn't, he doesn't understand the impact of it, right? He got his nose put back. He's going to get some cosmetic surgery done. That is an injury that he sustained, not the nose, mentally, Right, he's gonna fucking deal with this later on. The stresses of that, he doesn't know it yet. He absolutely doesn't know it yet. And I got, I got news for you. All the guys that were there that day, all the guys and girls that were there that day, sustained an injury as well, and they're never gonna forget that either, whether they know it or not. You know, um, you, you know, you guys will see when you're in your forties what we're talking about, and when you start to try to decompress off this job. Um, it's gonna listen. I'm telling you. He's going to have the most stress. And you know what I'm saying? In 10 years from now, his mother's going to have – his mother's going to double park her car. She's going to run into the store to get something. She's going to run out and she's going to have a parking ticket. And she's going to give it to her son and say, hey, listen, can, is there anything you can do to help me out? I even got this parking ticket. And he's going to go to the police boat and say, hey, listen, uh, can you help my mother out? She got this ticket. I lost my nose for this job. Sorry, kid, can't help you. But I lost my nose for this job. Sorry, kid, can't help you. That's what I'm talking about. He's he doesn't see the big picture yet. He's new on the job right now. He just sees the glamour. You know, when you're new on the job, it's a novelty. But eventually, as time goes on, it's like a new relationship. When you're in a new relationship, the first six months, one year is amazing. Everything is bliss. It's beautiful. But as time goes on, start to see the real person, the inner linings of that person in that relationship. It's the same thing. When you're new on the job, it's illustrious, it's it's glamour, it's beauty. I mean, you're a cop, you feel great, you're helping the public. You you're the man, you're the celebrity, right? With the muscle without the money. You say it all the time, John. And then as time goes on, that kind of wears off and the reality kicks in and you see the inner linings of your relationship with the job. And and, and it's unfortunate, but I do think that a situation like that can help out happen one day. Hey kid, listen, I get it. You lost your nose on the job. There's nothing we can do, we can't help you. And uh, he's going to find it, you know, unfortunately. So the other question that I have, so I looked at this team and all these guys are super young. I mean, they're super young on the job. I mean, their uniforms look like they were straight out of the, uh, 
out of the store from from uh, one police plaza. Uh, how did they get this unit? I, I, I you know, uh, are they related to chiefs? What, what's, what's the connection on this job? Because I'm sure there's some type of nepotism. How were these guys vetted? How were they selected? Were they vetted in the same manner that Richard Shea was uh, in connection to former police commissioner Dermot Shea? Because all these guys are brand new. How did they pick these guys? I'm, I'm quite curious. Do you know? I don't, but I'll just say the same way that they pick everything else in the election. <laughs> it's who you know. The same way they pick who a community ambassador is. You know, uh, a community a community ambassador who makes 200K a year. Oh, it's, spe- it's city council speaker Adam's cousin. You know, that's how they pick it. How, how do we pick who the I, – I, my real – like, because we already know. It's who you know, right? That's, that's how they got up. End of story. Right? Young guys – you know, like we already said, if, you, if you're taking guys that have clean records, it's because they haven't been dirtied up from doing the, the job. So then if that's the scenario, even if you took the best guys, right? Like, you, oh, I, we, we did a profile all the precincts. You didn't grab the best guy because the best guy is a guy like Eric Dim that's going to have a lot. Of, it's going to have a lot of complaints. He's not going to be clean. He's not going to be clean. He's not going to look like a superstar. You're going to look up his 50A. So. So it's already not correct, right? If we're getting clean guys, oh, the guy's got to be clean. Then he doesn't have the experience. You're 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 looking for a you're looking for an actor. You're not looking. You're looking for a perfect profile. You're not looking for the best, most competent profile. So, but yeah, I'll say you know, I'll say it's gonna go same way everything else on this job goes. Who you know, you know who you know. Oh, absolutely. You know. <laughs> It's funny that you say. <clears throat> it's funny that you say that, because I say that all the time. You know, I would have the guys working for me, the special operations unit, and they would go for interviews for the squad, uh, narcotics, whatever they were interested in. And sometimes, uh, they were concerned if a civilian complaint would 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 deter that you know would hold them back from getting. And I would tell them, no, you have to embrace it. And and the people on the panel that are interviewing the uh, special operations police officers for these units, I would hope that they were in the same position as you and that they would understand, well, and, and I mean this, it's pretty much impossible for you to be part of a proactive unit and to never get a civilian complaint. It just, it's a byproduct of doing that type of work. It's just not possible. If you, if you, did, you went your entire career doing proactive policing and you didn't have any complaints, I kind of question what were you doing? I mean, what was your hand in that? When the police officers went out as a team and they affected arrests, did you stand back and watch from the van? Because it's pretty impossible to be part of a, a proactive unit and generate complaints and you don't get one or you don't generate complaints. You, uh, don't tell me that you know how to talk to people better than everybody else. Your name tape is available just like everybody else. And in most cases, they're not targeting you unless, in my case, they targeted me because I was the leader of this unit. And I've gotten a lot of exposure, but in most cases, they're targeting you because you're wearing that blue uniform. It's just another name to add to the pile. So you are going to generate complaints. I'm pretty confident in this case that this team has a direct line to the police commission. The police commission will dismiss these cases if they do get substantiated. Or I'm sh- maybe maybe Chief Madry and Chief Shell had a sit down with former uh, Chair Jonathan Darsh, who, who's in charge right now, civilian complainant. I, I'm not sure, but I'm sure they have had some type of conversation to work this out. Say, hey, listen, we'll give you all the video, everything that you need without a FOIL request. Uh, 
just you, you know before you go forth with a civilian complaint, maybe they'll have some type of conference before it gets to that point. But I'm sure there has to be something, because if they are going to go out in a manner of doing proactive police work, even with the chief, even with legal attorneys, there will be civilian complaints initiated and substantiated. So, uh, what would you be your, your take on that? Because you you were the you were the liaison with the civilian complaint in internal phase. So how how effective can these chiefs be in this particular manner? And, and the legal attorneys, how much can they insulate them? And how much can they protect them from the civilian complaint review board? And do you think what, that my assessment is right that maybe there's some type of conference going on or maybe some type of handshake? Well, I, I would definitely say that they, they could weigh in heavily on any decisions that are made throughout the city. Let's, let's, really, let's really call it what it is. Politics rules every time, right? If we want to get a message out there, we'll, we, will, we will drop procedures to get that message out there. Like we will not follow the law. We will not follow the law. We will not follow our own policy. And that's happened time and time again. You know, we've seen it with so many different things. No, uh, none more highlighting than the vaccine mandate, right? Like we, we violated all labor contract, all OEO law, all everything to, to, to go along with what the mayor said. So if we if the mayor wants to put it out that we can have proactive guys, I mean, let's call it what it is. These guys could, you know, there's policy right now. And like Eric said, today, you know, today, the way things are, it's impossible for you to even not be proactive and get not get complaints because I don't even I don't even see how you could like if you're putting your name on a threat uh, resistance injury report, a try report, if you're self-reporting anytime someone resists arrest and you're generating your own complaints while you're there, it's impossible for you not to get a CCRB. So is it possible that they don't even do try reports? Very possible. Very possible that these incidents don't even get reported. It's very, very possible. It's very possible that internal affairs shit cans anything that comes that way, too. They go into a special little file, and we'll have group one investigate it, right? And they they investigate shit. They're closing everything. Same way that anything where an executive goes right up to group one. I mean, they're basically shit canning everything that, that that goes up the way of an executive. Unless they don't like you, then they'll find a different way. You know, I mean, let, let's call it what it is. Like, why, why does why does it even go to a special group when it's an executive? Why does it need to go to a special group? You know, why does it need to... Why uh, does it, actually, you know, yeah, and, and I'm going to say that any complaint that these guys get is going to go to that special group, that group one. I'm going to say, I'm going to 100% say that, that they're not, it's not even going the formal route. And there are definitely ways to squash this thing and a, definitely a handshake deal with CCRB. Like, hey, we will expose you if you do to if you do to Eric Dim. We're going to put this out into the media. So, again, like I said, I think that I, I want to see police work. I do, but I just want to see I want to see real shit. I want to see like the incidents were real, but everything surrounding those incidents aren't real. The, the way they go out, the way they tack up, the, the aftermath of that of, of that arrest. Like, you know, like Eric said, the arrest starts when you put the handcuffs on. It doesn't finish there. You know, prisoners and property, those are the two ways most cops get jammed up. You mess up on the vouchers, you don't count their money right, you don't count the drugs right, or you lose your fucking prisoner. Because I see today, and I see today... With the soft shit, I like. I'm like, what are we gonna start giving out salad tongs so people could hold their fucking perp? You know, I was always big. You know, you can ask any of my guys. Hold your fucking perp 
If I any arrest I ever had, I was locked arms. The guy would be like, come on, bro. We were close, man. We were sharing germs that day, whether he smelled, <laughs> whatever it was, we were going to share whatever it was, whether he had COVID or he had the flu. I had the flu. We were going to get to know each other very close. We were going to be together until that arrest process happened. And even the three-hour limit, it's fucking ridiculous. You know, I've had arrests where I've had hundreds of vouchers, you know. Those they, the, the arrest process took 18, 24, 36 hours. You know, like it's not even real that you could process an arrest in fucking three hours, depending on the arrest. You know, it's not even a real statement. You know, no. and if you're not processing arrests, arrests take a long fucking time on this job. There's so much bullshit that you have to do. Um, they take forever and you need all of these other people to get to get through your arrest process. You need the desk sergeant to sign off on vouchers or your own sergeant. You need the district attorney's office to to help you process the paperwork. You need all of these other – sometimes you have to make notifications, and, and you can't go forward until you get a stupid fucking number, right? And, like, there's just so many things that uh, – so many other factors that are involved in making an arrest. What if the guy goes to the hospital? What if he's a drug addict and he needs an incident? What if he just knows how to play the system and he's going to go to the hospital? I don't think that happens much now because they get out in three hours. So they know they're going to be out the fucking door. This kid's still going to be processing arrest paperwork. So if these guys are just dropping a body and fucking, if they're just dropping a body and property off, they're not learning shit. They don't know shit. They're being treated like kings. And that's just not, it's not, it's not right. It's not right. And yeah, you could you could probably end up with a, a few hundred arrests by the end of the year doing that way. But if you don't end up with fucking CCRBs, something's wrong, and we and then that needs to get investigated, not by Group One, by a third party. You know, I, John, I think you broke down so good. I remember it's funny you say that. So if the public understands, when it comes to an arrest process, the paperwork itself, it, it, listen, it's 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 very redundant. It's not it's not hard. It's just it's redundant because the voucher. The online arrest report worksheet, the complaint report worksheet, it's all the same information that you have to correspond on several pieces of paper. But what is what is so the, the, so much minutia when it comes to police work, when it comes to arrest, is the logistics. Exactly what you said. To, sometimes in order to go from point A to point B, you have to make a particular notification. And you can't go. You can't get to point B until that notification is completed. And that person on behalf of that notification has to do their part in, in order for you to get to the next step. So I used to always say the same thing. And unfortunately, I don't know how they came up with that three-hour arrest rule. And the three-hour arrest rule, so if the public understands, I know my cops know this, the three-hour arrest process rule starts when the police when the police officer brings their perpetrator to the desk and that arrest is stamped into the book. That's where the arrest process starts. So you have three hours from that time to get the person processed and out of the command to the next location. And in most cases, that never happens. But that's why I said these guys don't really understand the process. So one day, these guys, they're new. They may become sergeants and lieutenants, and they're not going to have the same compassion for the police officers and cops that are going to work under them because they're not going through that process right now. They're not understanding the logistics. They might say, hey, why is this guy not in and out in three hours? Because they haven't went through the process themselves. And it's just... Uh, it's unfortunate. And what I'm curious also in this case, so here, this team is the illustrious team. Illustrious team is the community response team. I mean, they're getting headlines. They're in, in a series right now. They have several chiefs uh, 
chiefs behind them. This is Chief Madry's baby. I'm sure the police commissioner stands by it and the mayor as well because they're all hand-in-hand -hand together. Will these guys get promoted to detective shortly? I'm sure they will. We should see some of these guys in the near future probably getting uh, gold shields. They should probably get promoted to detective, which is unfortunate. Again, there's police officers right now. They're in public safety, neighborhood safety teams. They've been out there. They have the experience. These are veteran cops, and they've been out there getting firearms, getting robberies, but their careers are pepping up from the Civilian Complaint Review Board, and they have no chance of getting gold shields. And unfortunately, these are the guys that are, have the experience. These are the guys that have the tools, the knowledge. These are the guys that we need out there helping the public. I mean, this is great. Like you said, I said, I watched a show. It was entertaining. Who doesn't want to watch a cop show? I mean, I used to, I used to do the orientation for, for, for the new cops that were coming to the precinct, and I used to always tell them, go out there and be a cop. Don't go out there and be a security guard and stand there like you're watching. You're, you're, don't pretend you're at Macy's and you're a security guard and you're watching the fireworks on 4th of July. Go out there and be a cop. Do intrusive police work. Go read the case law. Understand what it is to be a cop. I'm sure all of you watch cop shows. You know, I used to ask them who watched cop shows and they would raise their hands. And some guys, Blue Bloods, cops, NYPD Blue. And I would ask them, well, when you watch that show, did any of you ever say you want to be the planning officer, the RP coordinator? No, you want to go out there and chase the bad guys. That's what the public should expect from us. They should expect police officers to go out and chase the bad guys. That's what you pay us to do. But when we go out there and chase the bad guys, you get civilian complaints, you initiate your own cases and potential lawsuits. The public has to understand it's a byproduct of policing. And why they don't understand is because the leadership on this job is not standing up there and saying, hey, yes, this was necessary. You know, I've seen sheriffs numerous times in Florida, the good state of Florida, I've seen them stand up and explain, articulate and defend their people why they had to deploy so many bullets, so many rounds, why they had to use force in applicable situations and stand up and the community stands behind them. They're working together. But in the police department, they want to pretend that the taser was an applicable device and they showed a lot of restraint. How are we bragging about restraint? The message that we're saying is, hey, you know what? It's okay. Go out there. You do your job. If you get hurt, you're a hero. I mean, listen, if you want to be a hero, I never wanted to be a hero. To me, a hero was a, a sandwich. You got your nose cut off. You got your fingers cut off. You got stabbed. You got slashed. You don't deserve that. You deserve better. So for my police officers, my cops that are out there, I usually don't speak like this. You know that. But fuck CCRB. And I'll tell you why. You should never let someone get close enough to hurt you. You have a family that deserves you to go home the way you looked when you came in. If anything, I should hope by the time that you retire, you look better than you did when you came in. Work out. John always talks about working out. Take care of yourself. Working out is important because it works hand-to-hand -to, -hand to your mental your, your mental psyche and, and your physical components. They work together. You need to take care of yourself. Don't let anyone in close proximity. If it's your life or a CCRB, you know what? Fuck CCRB. Your life is more important. Stop worrying about civilian complaint review board. Stop worrying about your fair leadership, okay? You deserve to go home with 10 fingers and 10 toes. The civilian complaint review board is not going to help you. So what? You get that substantiated. So what? Take the trial and you fight it. And if you lose, so what? I'd rather you lose vacation days than you lose your notes. This is not funny. To this police officer, I commend you. I'm glad you're okay. But you should not get your nose cut off. All the steps should be taken that you're in a position that the police department should support you. They should say, sit you down and say, you know what? We feel for you, but this should never happen again. Why are one of our NYPD leaders standing up at a conference 
Chief Madry, you just had an interview talking about going forward and you taking over as the acting chief of the department. You want to pretend you have no idea that you're going to be the chief of the department. You're not fooling anybody. All right. Go out there and stand up and say, this is bullshit. I should see you get mad that my police officer. They, that's right. These are your people. Because I always felt I didn't care about CCRB. I wanted to protect my people. You're not protecting your people. You should stand up and say, my people deserve to go home better than the way they came to work. They should not get their noses cut off. This is ridiculous. Stop supporting him for using his taser. You should say, I, I, I commend the, the actions that these police officers taken. We're going to co go out and implement more training. He should have deployed his firearm. And if he had to pull the trigger, well, so be it. This is a knife-wielding maniac that's out there. The, if, the public, if the public feels so secure about a taser, then you know what? God forbid you're in the situation where there's a knife-wielding maniac and you're standing by and the police officer deploys the taser. I tell you what, you better, you better get the hell out of Dodge because if that taser doesn't work, you may be the next one getting cut too. And I don't want that to happen to you or anybody. You should support your police officer that he has that firearm on him and he's properly trained and proficient in using that firearm. So be it if he or she shall need to use it, that it's going to be effective to save lives. Save the police officer's lives. This police officer, yes. He's alive today, but he did not win. He lost. It's unfortunate. I'm sorry you lost, brother. I don't want that to happen to you. I don't want that to happen to everybody else. Stop thinking the taser is the magic potion because it sure as hell isn't. All right? You have to go out there. You got to protect yourself. You have a tool belt of all this stuff. You have to practice. You have to have a game plan, and you have to understand distance. We really got to wait for that. Right, I mean, John, you and I saw a video where a sergeant is completely has no more situational awareness. He has a potential uh, suspect standing in front of him with his hands in his pocket, a full bubble jacket, and eventually that perpetrator runs away. And by the time the sergeant realized what happened, two seconds had elapsed. There was no sense of purpose. There was no interview sense. The interview stance, there was no distance. We have lost so much. The NYPD was symbolic of policing worldwide. Everyone used to look up to us. We were it. Now, I don't know. Sometimes it's a shame and it's an embarrassment to say these are our, I watch these videos time and time again of our NYPD personnel just getting dragged around like a rag doll. I, I watched two police officers in the confines of Seminole Precinct in Brooklyn get dragged around like a rag doll by some perpetrator in front of a bus. This is embarrassing. Why? Because they're afraid of civilian complaint review board. They have inadequate training and we're not getting our police officers prepared for violence. It's an unfortunate thing, but yes, prepared for violence. That's exactly what it is. I'm, I'm glad you said that, Eric. I'm glad you said that because it, it brings up something that, you know, uh, a statement that was always made for a long, long time, right? And it was, you know, and, and, it's, and it relates to mindset. It's actually two statements that I'm going to bring up that are the mindset of a police officer, what it is when you're going to go out and you're going to deal with demons. You're going to deal with people who will murder you, who will rape women, who will rape children. You're going to deal with the dregs of society. And if you're going out there with a weak fucking mindset, like, oh, I'm worried about this. I'm worried about that. You're already at a fucking disadvantage, right? So one statement that, that used to be made a long time ago was, I'd rather be tried by 12 and carried by six. I'd rather go be tried by 12 people in a jury of my peers and possibly end up in jail than fucking somebody at my funeral 
walking my fucking funeral casket and I can have Mayor Adams touching my fucking hearse like he really gives a fuck and I can have some chief trying to bang my wife and fucking try to get all my fucking cars and all my money and everything else. Fucking no. No chief's going to bang my fucking wife. Nobody's going to fucking sit around. Nobody. I'm not going to have another guy trying to fucking come up with my money and talk about, oh, how awesome I am because now he gets to play with all my fucking toys and get all my guns and spend all my money. Absolutely not. Ain't fucking happening. Because you know why? I'm fucking going home. Maybe you could bang my wife if I'm in jail, but you're going to see me when I come out. Maybe you could do it then because then you're going to see me when I come out. So that's one mindset, right? That's one mindset, and that's a real mindset. I don't want another man raising my fucking kids. I don't want another man raising my fucking kids. Nobody's going to say where my money's going to go. My kids are going to know their father. That's fucking, that's one. So that's one mindset. The other thing, statement that I'm going to make, and George, George Orwell made this statement, and this is the police. People sleep peaceably in their beds at night because they know rough men stand ready to commit violence on their behalf. And that is the lot of a fucking police officer. That is the mindset. You are going out there. Like Eric said, you don't bring a fucking taser to a knife fight, and you don't bring a taser to a gunfight. You come up one step ahead. And yes, we don't fight fair. We don't fight fair. But we're going out there with a presence and a mindset to defeat demons. That's what you're doing out there. I don't care. And I'm not saying we're going to treat these people and abuse these people. I've never abused one prisoner ever in my life. I'm not okay with it. If I ever seen anyone do it, I would fucking lock them up. I'm like, I, I, I believe me. I have people in my family that are fucked up, that are drug addicts, that have mental issues. I would never want to see them abused. However, if they fucking pull the gun on the police, like I said, some mistakes you don't come back from. He made a bad mistake that day. There's nothing I could do. There's no reason that the police officer has to die that day for fucking because someone's insane or they're going to try to stab a cop. So, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to rant on that, but that's that's really like that's really one thing. You know, the mindset, we're not going out there with a proper mindset. And it's because of the culture that's being has been created by the appointed management because i'm going to stop saying leadership from now on i will be saying management because that's what they are they should literally at this point remove titles and they should be called city managers once you get past the two-star city manager i think they should even leave the chief the the chief (laughs) like i really do i think they should get rid of it because they're not leaders they're not a family they're not there for you forever we're not a big family it's all a lie because guess what Guess what? If you had a fucking if you were to take the COVID vaccine, you were going to go into epileptic shock. You know what this job would tell you? Go to the hospital, get the vaccine. When you go into epileptic shock, hopefully they'll revive you. Right. They're not even going to give you a fucking medical exemption. But you know who will get a medical exemption? Chief Madri will get a medical exemption. All of these people around him will get a medical exemption, right? But you're not going to get one. So don't sit here and tell me we're a fucking family. Don't sit there and tell me you respect my religion because you don't, you know, and we've clearly seen that you respect what Mayor Adams says and you will violate the law and you will do anything that he tells you to, to get your appointment and to get your next appointment and to get your next job. So there's not currently integrity and leadership. They are city managers. They are protecting the city. They're not protecting the men and women. But that is the mindset you need to go out there with. Um, so, you know, I, 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 I think we smashed that episode. Um, 
But uh, yeah, I would like to talk about the appointments if 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 you don't mind. Do you, do you want to get into oh, that? I, absolutely. I just want to go into one more thing. First of all, everything you said right now that was beautiful. I think I got goosebumps. But I want to go one, one further. I just want to mention one thing. You said exactly that. The leadership on this job, which is not, they're not leaders. The management on this job doesn't want police officers and cops to question the manner that they should do police work. And I'll tell you how. So I actually worked with this lieutenant. So he doesn't know I'm going to talk about this. I worked with this lieutenant in PSA 7. And he was supposed to be in charge of the neighborhood safety team. So he went out for the training with neighbor safety and they had the, the attorneys there from risk management and the attorneys that were talking about police work and the manner that it will be handled and the arrest process. So all this Lieutenant did was he questioned, he, had, he engaged the attorneys there into a conversation and questioned why they're putting so much emphasis on the cops when it comes to prosecution. It, it's really on the court system that letting these guys out. So they didn't like the fact that he was questioning and, and having this conversation because they don't want police officers, even their lieutenants to speak out and have an intellectual conversation. So a phone call was made and within 10 minutes, he was, he was directed to go to one police plaza where he was sent to Chief Madry, who was the chief of housing at that time. And he was transferred to another police service area within five minutes for questioning risk management on the manner that they handle police work and why are these gun cases being thrown out? So within minutes, his career had changed just because he had asked a question. That is fair leadership. You should expect your members to ask questions and to engage and actually challenge the attorneys, the stuff that they're bringing up, because these are experienced people. So shame on him. That was failed leadership and failed management. And that's a true story. Wow. Wow. So you, so you just, you, and, and that's right. That, that, that's not leadership at all, because if it was leadership, if I'm giving you a directive, it's my job as a leader to help you understand it. So if you have a question, Obviously, that question hit a fucking point because you know what? He circled over the truth. It's the same reason I get a ton of threats every day, right? Because I'm right over the target and boom, boom, boom. And you can't attack what I'm saying. So you just attack me in a different angle. And that's what they did. You never asked that question. You don't, those are not questions you could ask. You, you just follow. You just follow. I don't care. It doesn't make sense to you. And we're going to transfer you. Wow, I never even yeah. heard that story, but I, I, I've, you know, we, we've been dealing with this for years. You know, I remember when I was in BMOC, we had the, uh, the, the like a, a transgender organization come in, and this is in 2012. We had we had a transgender organization come in, and they were basically saying that if we get a prisoner and his name's Frankie, but Frankie wants to be called Peaches, we got to call Frankie Peaches. And I said, no problem. I'm respectful. I'll call. I said, if you want to be called dickhead, I'll call you dickhead. I don't give a <laughs> shit. Whatever you want to be called, I'm a respectful human being, right? Like, I don't care whatever you want to be called, however you'd like to be referred to. But if Frankie feels that his name is Peaches and he feels he identifies as a woman, I have to put Frankie in the cell with the women. Uh, Peaches in the cell with the women. I said, well, I have a fucking problem with that. I said, because I'm never going to do that. I think that's I think that's a lie. I said, I raised my hand in BMOC, and everybody's like, oh, who gives a fuck, bro? I just want to get out of here, bro. Fucking all big, tough guys. Everybody's a tough guy. You know, everybody's a big, tough guy. So nobody wanted to hear it, but I raised my hand, and I said, that's, that's bullshit. It's fucking bullshit, you know? I said, what happens when Peaches decides he's Frankie again, and he fucking rapes a girl in the cell? And I miss it for two seconds. Who's going to jail? Peaches or me? 
on the desk or the patrol supervisor or the cop in the thing because he missed the three seconds that he didn't know because Frankie could go back and forth forever. He can never decide if, if, if he took medicine one time in his life. He can never decide to never take medicine again, but he could change his gender. He could change his species fluidly, and we're supposed to play along with this fucking game. Absolutely not. So I was like <laughs> – I was pushing back at the whole thing. Yeah. And they call in, you know, she fucking runs out, the, or the presenter, because I asked questions, and then I kind of raised up the crowd where we had, like, two or three other guys that were like, wait, wait, that doesn't make sense, you know? So she runs out, the captain of BMA comes in, and he's like, hey, you know, just listen. Just listen, and, and you don't have to do any of this bullshit. And I'm like, no, because we're just, like, we're just letting this happen. Like, they're telling us shit that's wrong. They're telling the community something that's wrong. Oh, and by the way, they were saying that Peaches could tell me that his real name's Peaches and doesn't have to provide me ID. And I was like, no, that's wrong. I was like, that's wrong because I could put down that that's his preferred name, Peaches. He wants to be called Peaches. I'm like, but I need to be able to identify him legally. And if he gives me a false name, that's a charge. So you're doing your community a disservice because that's actually a crime. Right. So that was the main issue that we went back and forth on. And the captain's like, just say what, what, what do you got to argue? Just say just say, OK, and go about it. And I'm like, no, that's not it's they're trying to train us. And it's wrong. It's not right. It's not accurate. But that's where we're at, at today. And this is 2012, by the way. So now here we are in 2022, a decade later, and it's just encompassed everything. Don't ask a fucking question. Even when it doesn't make sense, even when it violates all the laws, even when it violates all common sense, tactics, everything, just do it. Just do it because we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't want to make any waves. We don't want to make waves. <laughs> we don't want to. This stuff, there's a fucking tsunami coming at me, and you don't want me to fucking paddle the boat a little bit and ask a question. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> Did you ever rice the peaches? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I unfortunately, I, I've EDP'd a lot of transgenders, and you know, and, and what I've noticed a lot, and, and I know, I, and statistically, I know this to be true: over sixty percent of transgenders commit suicide. So I don't know how, you know, I don't want to get into it, but I don't know how my eight-year-old deciding if I don't, if I'm not okay with my eight-year-old wanting to chemically castrate himself or change her body part, how that's going to help prevent that suicide rate. I don't know how that helps either. So, you know, that that's a topic for another day. But, you know, yes, but unfortunately, yeah. yes, I've, I, I haven't arrested any transgenders, but I've, I, I've had to bring transgenders against their will because they are emotionally disturbed or trying to kill themselves to a psychiatric facility via. No, I, I, as I rem- you, you brought up a great point. I remember when I worked at PSA 4, it, we, we covered uh, Chelsea was an area that we covered. So we did encounter. Quite, quite a few transgenders, and it, it was confusing. I remember, you know, process, doing the process for, for arrest. Okay, what is your name? What is your preferred name? Where do we put them? Who checks them? Because the search in the street is different from the search in the precinct. And if, like you said in that case, if you have Frankie, and Frankie identifies as Peaches, well, now I had to have a female police officer search the male police officer who identifies as a female. So it, it, it got crazy. Where do we house them? Who searches them? Where do we do it? Is it private? I mean, I didn't want to put my put my female police officer, you know, in a vulnerable position of putting her by herself with this with this big male who identifies as a female. It, it, it's it, you said it, we can go down this rabbit hole talk about it another day, but it, it was very convoluted. And I'm glad, that, I'm, but I'm just glad that you you raised questions because that's what we should do. 
we should raise questions so that we explore things so we can understand it better. In this particular situation, this lieutenant raised questions and they didn't want to hear it. They, they took it as an insult. And with the minutes, uh, he, his, his whole career had changed just for asking questions. Because I spoke to all the police officers that were there and said, he did nothing wrong. He just was being inquisitive. And he was saying, like, what exactly is going on? I mean, these guys are getting arrested with firearms, but they're getting let out. So why are you, why are you putting that on the police officers? Why, why are we not talking to the district attorneys with this? So, and, uh, you know, Madri never never had his back. And that's what I'm talking about. Never had, never supported him. Didn't give him an opportunity. Just within minutes, I mean, his he was at the class. They sent him to Will Police Plaza. The next day, he was at Police Service Air Force from PSA Seven. Just, uh, wow. and that's not that's not, that's, that's that's not a way to handle people, honestly. Wow, that's not a way to instruct yeah. people either to make them understand no. mission. What's my mission? Shut the fuck up and do whatever I'm told. That's my mission. Pretty oh, much. Okay. Right. Pretty much. Yeah. That's my mission. That's my mission. Okay. Go along with all the leftist progressive nonsense and, and, and everything's fine. Crime's down. Everything's good. Crime's down. Everything's good. We're going to have a whole new crop of leadership. And, and by the way, I, like, I posted about the, the change in leadership or whatever, the change in management. And I'm like, I don't, I don't feel bad that any of them got axed. I, you know, everyone's like, oh, they're great people. Yeah. Okay. The, the, I'll say a lot of those guys are great people. They, they did not exhibit leadership in this whole time. I mean, and then like we said on the last episode, every appointment is worse than the next one. And it's not even because of who it is. You can make Eric Dim the chief of patrol right now. Eric Dim's a very smart cop. He had he He's a cop's cop. He knows policing. He knows all this st- stuff. But what's he going to do? He cannot make a move because, God forbid, he asked a question or, God forbid, he went against Eric Adams in any slight form of way. He didn't do exactly what he was told. His messaging was slightly off. Guess what? He's not going to PSA 4. They're going to say, hit the fucking road, Jack. Hit the road, Jack. And then he's going to be like, I got a better offer. I got an offer I can't refuse. You know, you're, you're, you're saying Corey, Corey got his walking papers, but he got an offer he can't refuse. I'm like, yeah, you got an offer you can't refuse. The offer you can't refuse is get the fuck out or you're going to be a captain and I'm going to transfer you back. Nobody's doing it. So, and I don't blame him for not taking it. I would walk too, you know, but, but like I said, I just don't understand why guys don't talk about it. You know, I mean, I know that the three female chiefs uh, suit about it, Pollock. Uh, Jaffe and and Pizzuti, they sued about it. They said, "Oh, we're not diverse enough. We don't we, we don't want the women in our ranks." But you told us to step out. They won money. Uh, Wilcox actually said that he got pushed aside, and he and he understands it. And, and I respect that because it's like, all right, what you know, it is what it is. But I don't think that the change in leadership is going to help anything, anything. And and you know what? what? What's his face shell? He could be a sharp guy, and he could be a hard charger. I don't know what what any of them are going to do differently. What, what policies are they changing? What laws are being changed? Nothing. So it's just, it's just, it's just compliant management change for more compliant management, which we've seen for the last nine years in the police department and each successive one of them, crime riz rose. The quality of life in New York city went down. The police department morale went down. Resignations and retirements are up and recruiting is down significantly. So they all failed. And we're, we're just replacing failure with failure. Well, speaking of, uh, speaking of mass excess and recruitment, I, I, I heard chief Madry. I think he was on uh, was it Fox <laughs> uh, chief. Uh, listen, 
fun, but your math is really off. Honestly, you were talking about how they're doing a great job recruitment efforts, and the uh, the interviewer panel had asked you. He said twenty five some odd twenty five hundred some odd cops, the rank and file, are retiring this year, and how are you going to make up for this loss? And you said that you have a class that's coming out for six hundred, and the recruitment efforts are doing great. And they said, well, that that really doesn't add up. He's still he's still losing these members. He said you had another one coming out for six hundred. Uh, Chief, I hate to tell you, but when you're losing 2,500 an entire year and you have two classes that make up 1,200 and probably a good percentage of those are not going to stay, you have a substantial amount of loss. I haven't had an opportunity to sit down to the percentages yet, but it's probably going to take you about three years to make that up. And while you're continuing a, a compound of loss, I don't know how you're going to get back to that point with your recruitment efforts of 600. So in addition, as we go forward, I agree with you 100%, John. You know, I think, honestly... I like to see myself as an effective leader, and more as a mentor, and the same for you. But honestly, I don't. I know under this administration, under this administration right now, they said, "Hey, uh, Eric and John McCarry, you guys are going to be appointed as chief of patrol, the chief of department." We would not be effective. It's unfortunate we would not be good leaders. We would be bounced out in probably a week. And the reason being is, leadership always starts at the top. So right now, Mayor Adams is at the top, and he sets the tone. And he would not allow us to perform in the manner that you and I would choose to do. So we would either have to fall in line and fall in line to compliance, exactly what you said, which is failed management. You know what? But now on, I'm with you, John. I, I'm, I'm giving up the word leadership when it comes to the police department. I'm going with city managers. I'm with you on that. I agree. Our city managers are not going to be able to fall in line. They're going to have to have compliance and do exactly Mayor Adams' plan, which has been ineffective, inadequate, because it's the same tone and manner that de Blasio has carried on. And we're just continu continuing this forward. And what's the definition of insanity? He's doing the same thing over and over and getting the same results. So that's exactly what we're doing. The NYPD, I said this before on Twitter, I mean it. The NYPD has more shuffles than a deck of cards. That's all they're doing. Shuffle things around, shuffle things around. It's like they're playing blackjack. Uh, let's, let's shuffle around, we'll throw 10 hands, and maybe we'll get one blackjack in there. But this is not effective. It's totally inadequate. And again, people say, oh, oh, these are good people that are leaving. They may be good people. Yes. Well, Cox, I I've seen him out there. He's a hardworking man. He's a good guy. But he can't be a leader under this uh, administration. And if he was, he didn't perform in that manner because he chose not to stand out. And he chose to fall in line. And you know what? It's funny, you know, he said that he gets it. Well, at least one person admits that he gets it. So you admit you've been thrown out in your ass because you're not part of Adam's crew. And maybe, I don't know, maybe at some point you said, hey, we need to, we need to change stuff. We need to actually figure out what's going on in transit, right? Because he was the chief of transit. So maybe he said, this is, listen, this is not working. Here's my plan. Adam said, listen, it's either my plan or your plan. You're out. But you know what? Listen, the guy's got 41 or 42 years on the job. Go enjoy your life, please. I ask you, I hope, Chief Wilcox, if you watch this podcast, and I've, I've dealt with you before in the past, and I know you remember me, and I thought you were a hard worker, all right? But here's an opportunity. I'm going to give you an opportunity to not be referred to as a city manager. I want you to be referred to as leadership. Come on this podcast. Tell us what's going on with this administrative administration. Be that guy that I've been asking for, that 60-year-old man that comes out that's making $25,000 a month, that goes off at the sunset, that doesn't need money anymore. Tell us the truth. Tell us what's going on. Tell us why it's failed. Tell us how they're pushing you guys out. Tell us, please, tell me that you didn't get an opportunity, that you wanted to make things better. Please. 
I'm giving you an opportunity. Come on this podcast with John and I. We're not here to attack you. We want to hear the truth. We'll even memorialize your career. I'd love to hear from you, Chief Wilcox. Please come on this podcast. I encourage you. Yeah, and that, and that goes for everybody. Anybody that wants to come on, like we're not going to sit here and attack you. We'll, we'll, I'll, we'll formulate the questions ahead of time and give them to you, and, and we'll just make sure we stay on topic with the questions. We're here to hear a perspective. I, I want to hear. We don't want to live in an echo chamber at any all, and that goes for community members. You know, uh, again, like I said, my best friends, I argue it all the time, and it's because we 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 you know, and I always learn something. So it's not. Uh, it's it's not it would never be an attack. We're gonna have some episodes coming up soon that are gonna be uh you know we're gonna go over the contracts. Uh, we're gonna start to see guys who are gonna run for office in the NYPD, run for uh, uh, PBA president. We're gonna have those guys on as well, and uh, you know you're gonna hear a lot of conversations, and there's gonna be a lot of different opinions and there's going to be a lot of slander and attacks on this podcast which has already been but you know i don't care like we're just sitting here we're just regular guys we're not trying to beat anybody up i'm not singling anybody out any of these chiefs like i said it's like like eric said if if they put me in if he called me tomorrow and he was like oh you're the police commissioner i'm gone in three days <laughs> in three days or I, like i'm gone in three days i i, I you know maybe i make it a week because he didn't have time to talk to me you know what i mean <laughs> <I'm walking> <laughs> <out>. <laughs> um and, and same, thing, same thing with eric you know i mean like we're not we're not changing anything and i'm not knocking anyone for shuffle in the deck by the way because i would a hundred percent do that if i walked in i would literally shuffle the whole deck I would. I'm not knocking anyone for doing that. You want the people close to you. You want the people you trust. You need to know, you know, you have a working relationship with a lot of guys. I'm not knocking anybody for doing that. I would do the same exact thing. However, we're shuffling the deck. Why? Who's coming in with any new ideas or any strategies or what's changing? Nothing has changed. This is Bill de Blasio 3.0. It's actually worse because we knew where Bill de Blasio stood. Eric Adams got a, a little better mouthpiece. He has the background that he's a cop, and he pretends like he gives a shit and he wants to help do crime, but he hasn't done one fucking thing, you know. And then even even with the uh, with the mental uh, with the with the new mental uh, uh, illness campaign, he's going to run where you guys are going to go out and basically EDP people and bring them in. I mean, you know, you guys are going to get slammed for it. You know, first of all, there was no leadership. There was no training. There was no round table to have the health and hospitals there and EMS and FDNY and you guys and who's actually going to go out there and what scenarios we're going to do this in. What's a proper scenario? What's a not proper scenario? And like we know when someone is mentally disturbed as police officers, this is a fucking job. I mean, most New Yorkers could make that decision. This guy's not all there. He's not lucid right now. He's not. We're not on the same plane of reality. And to see who could be a danger to themselves or others, most New Yorkers can make that decision. However, our politicians can't make that decision, right? They're telling you they can't even tell you what's for crime, like when you should lock someone up for crime, when somebody should go to jail. You think they're going to have your back when something goes bad? God forbid you lock up a guy that's it. That's that's about to OD. You know, someone that's his body's overflowing. He's naked on the street. You think they're going to have your back when you brought that guy to the hospital and ends up dying? No, they're going to be crying on the news camera. They're going to say you murdered them. 
they're going to be no, no one's going to care that he was going through a fentanyl overdose you know number one killer of 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 18 to 45 year olds in america is fentanyl you know and and they don't give a shit about it they're not even talking about it you know what else they're not talking about it what's the effects of you guys what is the effect of you guys being coming in contact with microdosing of fentanyl over and over again every night What's going to happen to you when you're 45, when you start this career at 21? How are you going to be at 60, you know? And, uh, like, the, no, the, they don't care. They don't care. They're, like, they, they, they're not – it's not leadership. Oh, yes, I, I do agree with him that we need to do something with the homeless and the mentally ill, and we do need to remove them, especially in the winter months when they're most likely to die. 100%. I also don't believe they should be in the transit system. They're a huge danger to everybody. However, if I was a cop that night and it was freezing, I would let them stay there because I don't want them to die in the street either. So, I mean, we're always in that catch-22, what's right or wrong, right? Or if we have some unit that comes along, I mean, it could be good. But, hey, what are you going to do for the policies? Eric, what's going to happen when there's a guy who doesn't want to leave? He's not mentally stable. He's on New York City streets. It's minus two degrees outside. There's a good chance he doesn't wake up in the morning. He's, we find him frozen the next day. But we get, he has a clean needle with him. He has a clean needle with him, though. So, you know, we gave him that clean needle. We gave him that Joe Biden crack pipe. And, you know, because that's compassion, leaving him in the fucking streets in New York City. That's supposedly compassion for, for the drug addicts and for the mentally ill and for the homeless. What's going to happen when that guy doesn't want to go, Eric? Oh, uh, you know, you know exactly what's going to happen. To my cops out there right now, you're out, if you follow this plan, if it's already been implemented and the direction's already been pointed to you to go out and forcibly remove these people against their will so that they get, uh, they get, they seek out services and they're getting help, which is great. I do think it's great, but guess what? You know what you're getting? You're getting a civilian complaint substantiated by the civilian complaint review board and you are getting charges. And I've seen it particularly in the last year of my career issue. They're another one that's going to have, that's another unit that's going to have to worry about this right now. Cause if you're a cop and you're in a situation and you have someone who's emotionally disturbed, According to the patrol guide, he's supposed to isolate, contain this person, notify your sergeant, and notify emergency services unit. So I don't know how much the emergency services unit is, is going to want to help you and how much you're going to comply with this initiative. Because the emergency service unit is at the forefront right now of civilian complaints being substantiated when it comes to removing emotionally disturbed against their will, the mentally ill, the homeless. They're getting substantiated. They're getting charges. I've seen it time and time again, especially in the Lieutenant's Benevolence Association as a delegate lieutenants in issue and lieutenants just on patrol at their direction for forcibly removing someone were getting substantiated charges. Think about that. From the civilian complaint, here's someone that is acting irrational, can't make decisions for themselves. They need help. They need to get the safety. So they are removed against their will because they can't make the decisions. So we've stepped in as their guardian to make the decisions for them. And they're getting a substantiated complaint from the civilian complaint review board. That is total idiocracy. It's ridiculous that the Civilian Complaint Review Board is doing that. Where is the police commissioner stepping in? That's what we talk about. You as a city manager, where are you stepping in and saying, this is absolutely ridiculous. How can my police officers, my rank and file, actually implement this plan when they're getting substantiated charges from the Civilian Complaint Review Board? So, Mayor Adams, this is an opportunity. You have not yet spoken about the Civilian Complaint Review Board at all. You've talked about your blueprint. You talk about your plans, how you're getting firearms off the street. You talked about how you're going to support cops. You also talked in the same breath out of your mouth how that if your police officer are on the phone, you want them to be reported. 
So the NYPD response has come out with a little sticker for someone to put on their phone so they can identify what's the job phone and their personal phone. But you have not once come out and said, hey, the Civilian Complaint Review Board is hindering and it's debilitating my police officers from doing their job, especially when it comes to initiative. So you're going to get a civilian complaint. And another thing, where is Pat Lynch? Pat Lynch, you need to stand up and say, how are these city, city managers shuffling these cards constantly? Yes, I do think it's necessary. But unfortunately, these cards have been shuffled so many times in the past couple of years. How could the rank and file actually have a vision? All right, when there's, for momentarily, for a period of time, maybe nine months, they're under an administration, and it, which they don't even know what direction that administration is going. And now they have a new administration. They don't know where that's going, so they completely work in the dark. And I can tell you what, with these cards that they've shuffled, I see some aces in there, but I tell you what, there's a lot of jokers too. <laughs> That's probably, I'm, I'm probably gonna get a lot of blowback for that one, but it's true. It is true. No, it's it's ridiculous. It's absolutely. It's it, again. It, it's not. I mean, I mean, even that interview with, with Madri. Listen, again, I'm gonna say it. I like Madri. I think he's a great guy. I I do. I think that he is a great community leader. Um, yes. I think he gives the, the, the message that way. He gets out with the community. Uh, the part I loved about that show was the cops and kids boxing, you know, with Dave Sieve, Pat Russo, Jeff Madry was a big proponent. He, he, he gets that program out there as well. Um, you know, that's, that's great, man. Like that is, you know, we're getting out there with these kids to help them build boxing gyms. They're instructing these kids. This is something that will will actually be community coordination going forward. You're going to have these youth, whether they become boxers like uh, like Carrington, like Bruce Carrington, uh, Shushu Carrington, um, you know, or they don't, they're going to be community leaders. They're going to say, hey, you know, these guys aren't bad guys. These, you know, they may, some of them may become cops. Some of them may go on to be politicians, heads of business, whatever it is. I think that's a great, great part of that show. And I think Jeff Madry is great for that. I do. I think for him, I think him as chief of community affairs was actually a great appointment. Um, I don't know so much about chief of department. <laughs> but just, just like I'm, and I'm just basing it on the interview, and I'm just basing it on, on, uh, on the fact he's not going to be able to change anything. You know, um, I, I would like to, I would like to actually hear from these chiefs in reality without Eric Adams, what they really believe would work, and I don't believe they can do that until they're in retirement. So. It's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. Yeah, but yeah, but you said it. So it's true. In retirement. But yet these guys, not one has come out in retirement and said, hey, this is exactly what needs to be done. Or we tried to do it and we were curbed. Uh, we, you know, we had to fall in line and have compliance. Not one has come out yet and said why, what's effective, what works. I know uh, uh, Bratton tried to, you know, tried to speak on it, speak on it a bit, but he wasn't a chief. Uh, he was commissioner. He spoke. He touched on it a little bit, but not too much because still he was part of the uh, the birth of the neighborhood coordination offices, which completely is a complete failure. But that's what I'm asking for. Wilcox, one of these guys retiring. O'Reilly, please come out and speak out and talk about the position where you're at. Come on this podcast. He has a great opportunity to speak the truth, right? True Blue's finest. You could be True Blue's finest. Be True Blue's finest on this podcast. Come on this podcast. New York's finest retired unopened. And here's an opportunity to create your legacy and talk about your retirement and exactly where we are in policing. Help these rank and file. Be a leader. Don't just be a manager. Anybody can be a manager. You can be a manager at McDonald's, but you're 
You're part of New York's finest. You lead the finest. Here's an opportunity to lead them in your retirement. Yep. Um, uh, I agree. They, you you gotta come. You gotta be able to stand behind who you are. Like, and nobody should be afraid to come to to put anything out in the public. Nobody should be afraid of the news cameras. Like, you shouldn't be. It shouldn't all be the same messaging over and over again. Like we saw with the police commissioner, and we saw with uh, with uh, Chief Corey on his way out. It's the same message. Oh, it's all because of bail reform and judges don't have discretion. You know, that's like, nobody believes that, you know, even though it is a major proponent, nobody believes that, that there's so many issues going on. And, and, you know, and I feel like that's what you'll get from even the outgoing people who were told, Hey, listen, it's, it's, you know, I I don't need you in this, in this position anymore. And I, you know, and, I mean, I, I think anybody could respect it. I wouldn't want to work for somebody that that doesn't think they they need me. I'd say, okay, yeah, I'm out of here too, you know. Um, but uh, you know, wh- where is the real leadership going on? If you truly love this job, if you truly love the men and women that served under you, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you go out there and and speak about what's going on? the reality it's just and and again it's your perspective it might it might not be the truth what eric's saying might be 100 wrong what i'm saying might be 100 wrong but i'm not afraid to say it and you are so there's obviously something's wrong here you know what i mean and 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 that's what's going on you know that's what and and you know we we talk about the exodus and we see numerous police interviews we've seen you know members police experts members of police supportive organizations and they never really spoke on why cops are leaving they gave the, these ridiculous answers pay you know when these these young men and women signed up at the time for the pay they're not leaving for the pay and the majority of the time they're leaving to make less money they're leaving for not better pension systems not better health care um so you know it's it's it was such a dishonest conversation and 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 we're still seeing it today you know we're still seeing it today and and even with Bratton um you know you know it always gets touted um you know wh- how great this community policing was when it, honestly it was a huge failure us stepping back from the broken windows theory caused what's going on in New York City today it's a politically created crisis unfortunately the police management will not adhere to it Bratton has said, I heard him say, this is a politically created crisis, and that is it. He backs off of it. He will not go into the details of it. He'll still sit there and say, oh, uh, you know, it's a politically created crisis, but community policing was a great model, and, and, and we, made, we made New York City even safer. Really? Did you? I mean, I, you know, and then I even we watched an interview recently with uh, Ray Kelly. When he went up there and, you know, Heather McDonald opened up for him. And I, I'd like to break that interview down at some point. But, uh, again, he's sitting there and he's talking about Chief Corey's leadership, Dermot Shea's leadership, James O'Neill's leadership. I don't – I'm like – again, it all went up. Crime went up. Everything went up. People fled. You know, they, the New York City is in a worse spot. And, again, if these guys were CEOs of business, they would be fired. The board would say – Get him out of here. This guy failed, you know, and, and, and Hey, you know, if, and if you're going to say, well, there's, there's an entity above me that's controlling me, then guess what? You're not the CEO. You're not in charge of this business. Eric Adams is let everybody know. Hey, listen, this was what I wanted to do, but I couldn't do any of it. This is what I was told to do. 
you know, and, and nobody will do that because, again, you won't get your second and third pension from New York City, your multiple streams of income from New York City. You won't get the security contracts as you're running around telling everyone unarmed security is the way to go, how we're going to drive crime down in New York City. You know, um, so, you know, that's that's about what I got on that. It's definitely not true blue. It's entertaining. Um it was definitely entertaining. I'm definitely looking forward to the next episode. But for the public, we just thought it'd be, you know, and for everyone that was asking, that was our take. You know, it's not actually what's what's going on. And it, it, it was an effective model. Yes, but it's not realistic at all because you're not going to do that in 99 different precincts, precincts, transit districts, and PSAs. You're just not going to do it. It's not, you're not going to have that model. <laughs> hundred percent. John, before we go, I just want to ask you one thing. If you can tell the public, and I know your, your, your top number one reasons, but give me the top three reasons you believe that we have a mass exodus and other than pay. And we, because we know it's not pay. What, what would you say the top three reasons in order that are causing this mass exodus for our police officers? So physically removing people and putting people in the scenario to leave. Like to, to actually box people into the scenario they want to leave is the vaccine mandate is the number one, right? Because you you box people into this decision, right? And as much as Eric Adams will say, oh, I choose, I chose to left. I chose, I was given an offer I couldn't refuse. The same way Chief Corey was given an offer he couldn't refuse. The same way all these outgoing chiefs leave or I'm kicking your ass out. I wasn't, that wasn't an offer for me. I was like, I'm not getting terminated. I'm not losing 18 years of my career. And, um, and you're not gonna, and you're not my daddy and you're not going to tell me what I believe because it's fucking illegal. And I don't care what anybody says. And, and by the way, we just had another decision come out that said that they violated all of our labor contracts. But guess what? Lou Turco didn't know that when I spoke about it. Pat Lynch didn't know that. The SBA didn't know that. No, none of these unions knew it. The CEA didn't know it. It's so weird. They didn't understand labor contracts that they're negotiating right now. How come John McCarry knew that? I was never a fucking union guy. I never sat there. I didn't want to go, oh, Mo, just take it, Mo. You know, I was never a union guy. How did I know that that violated all union contracts? Oh, because I read, you know, and then all the OEO law they disregarded. So that number one, physically, they fired a, a few hundred people. They, uh, they put thousands into the scenario to retire and resign early, right? Coercion. So that's number one. Uh, and, and, and it actually goes a step further is to – now, my number two reason is morale, right, is morale. And morale is greatly affected by this vaccine mandate because, again, there is like 6,000 people in the NYPD put in for exemptions. And just to correct something that that reporter said, 4,000 people are on pace to retire this year. 4,000 people, not 2,500, 4,000 people will have left and we're going to replace them with maybe 1,200, right? And <laughs> what? And, and the classes that me and Eric came out in, I'll, I'll get into that in a second. I'm going to get into that in a second, but I'm just going to go on to the morale. So now 6,000 people put in for either religious or medical exemptions and very few people were giving we're giving that exemption. How do the people feel? Because I, I spoke to numerous officers who told me they didn't want to put the exemption in because they were afraid of retaliation. 
because the NYPD retaliates you. And Eric Ava clearly pointed that out. You can't even ask a fucking question, right? They clearly retaliate against you. So they were scared to even put an exemption in because they were worried about retaliation. So I'm going to say that that number, knowing that before we put in that vaccine mandate, 60% of the NYPD was unvaccinated. Over 60%. I think it was even higher. I think we were at like in the 70 percentile. So in the 70%, so you have 70% of the job that was for, felt forced to take something that they didn't want to take. You know, you have 30% that had elderly parents that had, you know, children with immune compromise. You had a ton, the military guys all took the shot because they were getting stuck with fucking anthrax. So they were like, ah, whatever, I don't care. They really did, you know, and, and I don't fault any of those people. You just were like, ah, whatever, I'll take it. You know, I don't care. Um, that was and, me. <laughs> and then you had the guys that were legit scared and were like, hey, I, I, I want this stuff. I had guys calling me, how do I get the vaccine? I need to get it. It's not out. It's not out. You know, um, so like, I don't fault any of those people, but that was a very small minority. It was like 30% that actually took it willingly. I'm going to say like 60 to 70% did not take this substance willingly. So, and now here's the guys, right? Like me, again, I was well-respected, very well-liked, very well-liked by all. Even the guys that'll tell you I'm an asshole, that I'm a jerk-off supervisor because I complain about how you touch people or your work or I want you to, uh, you know, I'm a workaholic. So, you know, I, I expect everybody to, to be competent in their in their job, right? So even the guys that'll tell you that I'm a jerk-off will still respect me, right? They'll be like, oh, I like John. John's a hard worker. John, you know, like I, my, my head's in the right place. My heart's in the right place. I might be an idiot. Like they might think I'm an idiot, but they'll know my heart's in the right place, right? Um, so, so now you affect the overall morale because you pushed 60% of this job into taking something they wouldn't want. You told them, I don't care about your medical reasons and I don't care about your religious reasons and I don't care about your philosophical reasons. You're going to take this thing or we're going to fucking fire you. And they were telling us they were going to replace us with National Guardsmen. We were worthless. This is a great job. You should be fucking thankful. You should do anything we tell you to keep this job. And if you don't, fuck you, go get a job in McDonald's, right? Like they used to tell us all the time. But we couldn't even get, we in New York City, we couldn't even get a job at McDonald's because everybody had a fucking vaccine mandate. So I couldn't even leave to go to McDonald's. But So you affect the overall morale. Now these people that took something that they didn't want to take, how do you think they felt? They feel raped. It's medical rape. They feel like they were raped. They were violated. They were treated like they don't matter, like they're just a number. And the 30% that did take this job that did take it, I'm sorry, that did take the vaccine willingly and wanted to for whatever reason it was, seeing what happened to their coworkers who they love and respect. And they're like, whoa, what the fuck is this? You don't give a shit about any of us. You don't care about any of us. So the morale is in the fucking toilet bowl. Never mind the fact that we have these managers coming up and lying to the public then lying to our police officers who are the fucking experts. Me and Eric say we are the experts. We're not saying me and John McCarry and Eric Dim are the experts. We're saying all of us who went out in the fucking street and interacted and did this fucking job are the experts. 23-year-old city council members are not the experts. 60-year-old fucking men who haven't done police work in 30 years are no longer the experts. You are the experts. You know the intricacies of this job. You know the pressures that you have to face. They police in a different time with zero accountability. 
We are policing in the utmost accountability. You are the experts. That's We are the experts. We. We are all the experts. And what we're seeing is we're being lied to. The average cop, ask them what they think about True Blue. They're going to probably say exactly, exactly what me and Eric Dim said. Oh, it was enjoyable, but that's not reality. And, and, and that's the messaging throughout the whole fucking department. So morale's the number two reason. It, it's, it's people do not, they just cannot get their head around everything, the way we've been treated, the, the lies that we're telling the public, the lies that we're telling our police officer, the lies that the politicians are spewing. So morale, people, again, People are leaving for less money. They're not. It's so. It's not the money. They're leaving for worse pension systems. They're going to fucking states they don't even know. Like myself, I'm a New York City kid. I don't know anything but New York City. I never wanted to leave New York City. I never wanted to leave New York City ever. I didn't even want to leave in the summer to go away because I love fucking New York City. I never, never wanted to leave. But you push people like me out. So fucking everybody's like, I want to get the fuck out of here. I don't want to be here anymore. So morale's in the toilet. And the third reason, the third reason is because we have managers and we don't have leaders and they don't know. They don't know what they're doing on the street. They don't know the messaging. They don't know what to do with the ATVs. They know it's not right, but they don't know what to do. They don't. They know the open drug use. These people should be getting arrested, but they don't know what to do because it's legal, right? So everything is, you know, some scenario, it's good in one way. You shoot a, a guy attacking you with a bat one day, they'll, they'll applaud you. You shoot a guy attacking you with a bat the next day, you're a fucking racist and they want to throw you in jail. There's no clear messaging. So those are the top three reasons I think people are leaving the NYPD. And and, and they're leaving in droves. And, and I got one better for you because, you know, no one ever asked me this, Eric. So I, I appreciate you asking me this. So I'm going to tell everybody right now when 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 uh, two classes prior to us, um, starting in 2002, right after 9-11, Going all the way up to 2008, there were the largest classes in NYPD history. You had classes that were over 2,000 guys, 1,800 people. And what we're seeing now, we're in the height of where these people, as they become eligible for retirement every six months, two classes a year, 2,000 to 1,800. I think the smallest one was like 1,600. So twice a year on January and July, you will see retirements in droves, in mass. In mass, as these people come upon 20 years, they're going to retire. So by 2028, if we stay on pace the way that we're on pace right now, the and New York City Police Department will be cut in half, and we're you know we're we're replacing. We're, what are we going to do? We're going to replace four thousand guys with twelve hundred. Do the math. We will be in half, in half, and it's being done on purpose. It's all being done on purpose, you know. And again, for you guys in True Blue, in five years, I'd like you to come back on here. And recap exactly what's going on. You know, when you're in retirement, you know, I, w- I would like to do a recap of what those scenarios that you, that the port, that the, the NYPD took you and dangled you in front of the camera. Oh, look at him the same way they do on Twitter, but they never talk about what goes on with the criminal and they never talk about what's happening to you. 
you know, they never, we're not going to know the long term of that criminal, what actually the true outcome of that is, and the long term of what's happening to you in your career and how those things affected you later on because you did what we ask you to do. You did it. You went out there, you were a cop, you, you, you know, you held true. So, you know, stay safe out there, everybody. That's me. Uh, Eric, what do you got? First of all, I think the answers you gave are fantastic, but it proves what I've been saying. Uh, but I've been saying the whole time to all the cops and, and family members is that these are not just three. These are not three separate things. It's not, well, the vaccine itself. It's not morale itself. And it's not bad leadership itself. They're all connected. It's one, it, it, it's one giant problem. The vaccine, morale, and the failed managers, it's all connected. And I think it does, it, does, it does start with the vaccine, but they're all connected, and it's one complete disaster as a whole. And your, your, your synopsis and your analysis of it is fantastic. It's right on point. It's exactly what's going on, but they are all connected. The vaccine, the morale, and the failed leadership is all connected to, to each other. And they, it's an onion. It would just take for – this is going to take years to peel, peel apart. And you're 100 right. As I'm writing down the math, here we are on pace by 2028. If we go on this pace – I think we're going to be about 65% less than we are right now. And, and that's why I heard Chief Magic talk about it. That's why I think, yeah, he's great when it comes to community affairs. I think he really does care about the kids. I think the kids should be a focus. I was involved. I always volunteered for the, uh, the, the Explorer program. But to have a vision for the chief department, I, I don't see where he, he being that guy, honestly. It's not a, it's not a knock on him. It's, I don't think he fits that role. And, but I don't think someone else could fit that role either because Adams is not going to allow him to – to take on the role in the manner that needs to be. But I think that we nailed it with the, with this podcast. There's a lot of great information. Please, for our cops, our supporters out there, please watch us and for the public. If you're not a cop, I hope you support us in this information because we just want to give out the true information. And exactly what John said, we are the experts. That means all of us, anyone that's had the boots on the ground in this era, we are the experts to give out the right information, give out the truth. The public needs to know it. The cops need to hear it again. We support you. And thank you so much for uh, listening to us. No, yeah, I think that was great, Eric. And I just what Eric's saying is, oh, it's a culture. It's a culture. It's it's the culture that's been created by the political and their appointed leadership, which are we we debunked are not leaders. It's just appointed management to bring down the message. And it's the culture that's killing the NYPD. So thank you guys for tuning in.